Uh, Our Bible reading this evening comes from Micah and chapter 1. If you're using one of the Red Church Bibles, it's found on page 930. Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming down from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images, since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. As the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Beth Ophrah, roll in the dust. Pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shaphur. Those who live in Zanan will not come out. Beth Ezel is in mourning, it no longer protects you. Those who live in Maroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief. Because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of the daughter of Zion began. But the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The town of Akzib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you, you who live in Marasha. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adulam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your amazing word. 
We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds this evening to what you would have us think and what you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Phil said, we're starting a new series in the evening from the book of the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. Micah was an Old Testament prophet living in a time of general prosperity in the land. Things were looking good. But God had raised up Micah as a prophet for a special reason. He was to speak to the nation with God's words and telling them that God wasn't happy with how they were living their lives. You see, despite the the prosperity that the nation was enjoying, there were problems. There were religious problems. There were moral problems. There were social problems. You might be asking, well, why is this ancient book relevant to us? Surely things have changed a lot since Micah's day. Well, I'm not so sure. Think about these three categories, religious, moral and social. We live in a world where Christians are often branded as hypocritical, driver how they behave or what they believe. We live in a world where morality is increasingly subjective. I can do what I want. I can feel how I want to feel as long as it makes me feel okay. And we live in a world of increasing social disharmony and breakdown. You see, in Micah's day, just as there is in our day, There are problems that need to be fixed. And the book of Micah tells us that that will happen by God's judgment. Now, judgment isn't a very cool thing to talk about in society. It might not win you many friends at school. And I think that people in the West generally quite like the idea of of a God of love. And a God of compassion, they can get behind that. But a God of judgment? I'm not so sure. Well, I want you to imagine a situation where a whole person's family have been murdered. And you go and say to that person, God won't judge them. Because God is a God of love. You see, the problem is, Telling that person that God is just a God of love and not a God of judgment actually makes God less of a God of love. If he's not willing to to intervene, if he's not willing to hold the people responsible for the crimes that they have done, it doesn't make him more loving, it makes him less. So as we think about judgment this evening... Let's start by asking why we should listen. Why is what Micah is saying here relevant to us? We've got some idea, but specifically, why is what he is saying relevant to us? Well, the first reason it's relevant is because the judge is coming. The judge is coming and his judgment is is universal. Look down with me at the end of verse 1 and verse 2. 
It says, The vision he, Micah, saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth, and all who live in it. Micah is sent to it to a certain place at a certain time, but he's saying that this message that he is bringing is for everyone, whoever you are, wherever and whenever you live. This message is for you. And that is because of who the message comes from. Look, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. These are God's words. The God whose, whose words brought everything into beginning at the creation. And all who are brought into being by his words belong to him. And all who belong to him need to listen to him. We listen firstly because this message is universal. It's to all of us. Well, secondly, why should we listen? Well, it's because the judge is coming and the judgment is personal. Look at the end of verse 2 and verse 3. It says that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. God is is acting personally in the form of a witness. He will say, I have heard you do those things. I have seen you do these things. And I'm personally holding you accountable for what you have done. It's a bit like uh, the witness in a police lineup. Uh, my father was once in, in the police lineup. He told me he wasn't one of the guilty people, but uh, he, was, he was in the lineup, and the person walks into the room through the, the one way glass, and they can point to the person they know is guilty and say, Yes, it was him. I saw him do it with my own two eyes. Well, Micah says that God will personally bear witness against his people for the wrong things that they have done. And this will involve him personally coming down from heaven to bring his judgment. Now God's judgment here is on a specific people at a specific time for doing specific things, but the principle is still the same in how God judges At the end of time, when God judges all and the secrets of all hearts will be revealed, it will be personal. There will be no hiding behind other people or, or shifting the blame. Each person will have to be accountable to God and God will personally judge. So why should we listen to the judgment? Well, because it's universal, because it's personal And thirdly, and I think Micah makes this quite clear in chapter 1, it is terrifying. I want us to be under no illusions here. When God's judgment comes for all those whose safety is not found in the Lord Jesus, it will be terrifying. Look at the end of verse 3 and verse 4 in your Bibles. It says, he comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. 
The mountains melt before him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. We are supposed to picture here such incredible and such awesome power that even the the greatest things we could begin to imagine that exist in the world, well, they begin to fall apart even at his amazing and his holy presence. And one of, the, one of the joys I have about having children is you get to do all the things again, sometimes secretly, that you, you loved doing when you were a child and pretend it's just a parental thing, but actually you're secretly really enjoying it. And one of those guilty pleasures is sandcastles. I absolutely love making sandcastles. But specifically, the thing I love about making sandcastles is the little valleys and the little reservoirs and the stuff that you can build around them. So that when the tide is beginning to come in, it doesn't, it doesn't affect the sandcastle. It kind of flows around it. But the problem is, even the, the best flood defense or the best, best trench you could build, it still reaches a point when the tide comes in and it's no good. It knocks your sandcastle over and all my, hard, I mean, all my children's hard work <laughs> floods out to sea again. Whatever your defences look like, and no matter how good they are, the castle will get washed away. And such is what Micah is saying here. But I want to ask you, how might you be trying to build up your own defences? How might you be trying to to build defences against this judgement that aren't God's ways. It can be subtle. It might be good records at school. It might be having a a comfortable and a good family life. It might be having the right kind of friends around you. It might even be your money and your possessions. You see, no matter how big your defences you've built up, unless they're, as Mike says, bigger than the mountains and higher than the earth, well, they won't be able to face up for the judgment that is coming. You need something stronger. You need someone better. So why should we listen to God's judgment in Micah? Well, because it's universal and because it's personal And because it's terrifying. That's the first question, why we should listen to it. And we need to keep that in the back of our mind over the next few weeks as we carry on through the other seven chapters. But I want to ask specifically tonight, what's it got to do with us? Why might we be facing judgment? What have we actually done wrong? Well, let's look at the three reasons Micah gives for what the people were doing wrong and see if any of those apply to us as well. Well, the first reason he gives for God's judgment is because of the people's false religion. Look at verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? 
What Micah is describing here is the transition from how God's people should be worshipping him towards something that looks a lot more like the worship of the other nations and of their pagan gods. You see, in the Bible, God sets out clearly how his people should relate to him. He is to be their only God. They are not to make idols. They are not to to begin to throw his name about loosely. But instead of keeping these ways of relating to God, they decide to try and change them, get a bit of inspiration from elsewhere. And Micah, in verse 5, talks about the high places. These would be places of of pagan worship on tops of hills, on tops of mountains, where where they would sacrifice, in some case even sacrifice their own children, up to the pagan gods to try and get prosperity and to try and get a good life. You see, even though they were the God's chosen people, they were trying to keep their options open, just in case God wouldn't come through for them in the way they had imagined. So when at the same time they go back to the temple and they try to worship the one and only true God, of course he can say to them, this is false. Don't bother to try and worship me like this. I know what you're like. Jerusalem is supposed to be the place where God is worshipped properly. But he says to his people, you're treating it like a pagan shrine, just another shrine to another God. God hates false religion. And it is this that Micah shows us is the source that causes all the other social and moral breakdown. When you read in the following chapters about everything else that is going wrong, it's because of this reason. It's because of the people's false religion. What about for us? Well, there's a danger, isn't there, that this this kind of practice of keeping our options open so often marks our own attitudes and our own practices. Now, we're, we're probably not going up onto mountains, we're probably not even going up onto Devil's Dyke and sacrificing to Baal and other pagan gods. More subtle than that, I would say. But often isn't it so much easier to keep your options open with God than it is to be completely trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Looking for other things to give you identity. Looking for other things to give you safety. And to be completely and totally trusting in the Lord Jesus. You see, God wants his people not just to turn up to church on a Sunday. God wants his people not just to be giving to all the right charities. God wants his people not to be even just reading their Bible every day. Or even preparing sermons. God wants his church to be a place where the people in it are looking at no one else or nothing else apart from him to satisfy the deepest desires and the deepest longings of their hearts. No other backup gods, please. Just Jesus. 
You see, because if false religion marks our motives, well, Micah tells us that it will bring judgment. But how does God feel about this judgment? Because it's what Micah tells us. How does God feel about this judgment? Well, God is grieved because his people are not living as they should. Look at these amazing words, verse 8. seems to jump out of the passage. Let me read it. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. Now, this is, this is Micah's own distress, but it is intertwined with how God is feeling. Don't forget in verse 1 it says, this is the word of the Lord. Wailing and weeping. At how his people are behaving towards him. But we don't only see that in the, in the Old Testament. We see it in the New as well. Luke describes Jesus in chapter 19. He says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. You see, it hasn't changed from from Micah's day to the day that Jesus uttered those words over Jerusalem. And it hasn't changed from that day to today. God wants his children to know what would bring them peace. And as this verse makes clear, and as Luke makes clear, and elsewhere in the Bible, God is grieved when it doesn't happen. When they choose to ignore that peace. God is grieved. He's not powerless, but he is grieved. Well, what what has this judgment got to do with us? Well, because all of us, in one way or another, are guilty of fake religiosity and because God is grieved when we do not live the lives, our lives, the way we should. And thirdly, it's because of what sin is like. It's infectious. Look at verse 9. He says, The Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. You see, the reason why this is such an upsetting verse, but such a sobering one as well, is because Jerusalem is meant to be the place that life, that goodness, that God's message of salvation flows out of. Not sin flowing into it. That's the wrong way around. Whether it's religious or moral or social. Micah says the sin is right at the door. Well, instead of it being sin, imagine it being someone with bubonic plague. Well, you're not going to invite this person into your house straight away. You're not going to start hanging out with them and pretending there isn't a problem and that they're okay. Well, Micah says it's like that with sin and what sin does except sin is worse. Micah says that it will take action to remove it, like surgery. 
You see, there's no flirting with sin. It is infectious. There's no thinking how much I can get away with until it becomes a real problem or until it becomes a real addiction. Sin is infectious. See it for what it is. For what it did to Jerusalem, this place that was meant to be God's shining example, God's blessing to the world. It's devastating and it's infectious. Now I realise I probably painted quite a bleak picture this evening. But it is the one that Micah gives us. So I want to finish by asking, what, if anything, can we do about it? Well, there are two possible outcomes. And the first one is what you might call poetic justice. That's what Micah describes in those almost seemingly slightly strange verses from verse 10 to verse 15. These are the judgments on the towns surrounding Jerusalem. Well, you may even spot it at the bottom of, of the page there in, in the little subnotes. That the judgment that God declares fits with the names of the places. Let me explain. Uh, so in verse 10, you'll look down and see Beth Ophrah. Well, that literally means house of dust, which is why Micah says about them, roll in the dust. And in verse 15, uh, Marishah sounds like conqueror in Hebrew. And that is what God will bring against them in their current state. You might want to think of some, some, some ones a bit closer to home that would, that would kind of uh, explain what Mike is doing here. So, as for London, you will be undone. Or, as for ditchling, you will end up in a ditch. It's that kind of thing that Micah is doing. No comment on London or Ditchling even for that matter. Now in one sense, yes, this is about poetry. And it is about displaying drama and the importance of what Micah is saying. But nevertheless, it is still true. And it's sobering to think that unless these towns change their ways, they, they will face what Micah promised. And actually in 701... That did happen. King Sennacherib came in and did exactly what Micah's prophecy foretold. You see, that is a sobering reminder to us that God is clear that if we continue living lives turned away from him, there will reach a stage where it will be too late. But is there another way? apart from poetic justice. A way that God can still rightly judge without us being judged. It's good that he thought of that, isn't it? You see, even though Micah chapter 1 is about God's judgment, but even so, there is a little signpost to what he has got in mind. And that is turning back. Look at the last verse, verse 16. It says, Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. God is saying that even in the midst and with the consequences 
of judgment, there is still a way. There is still a right way to act. A way that acknowledges how much damage sin has done, both on you and on others around you, in this case, on your children. And this shaving, this mourning, is the sign that the truth has finally hit home. It may be drastic, but they're getting it. They are not thinking that things are okay anymore. And this is the first step in turning back to the Lord, in opening your eyes to reality. You see, just as the people delighted in their children, so also the father delights in his son and always has. So how is he going to rescue a wayward, sinful people from his judgment? By sending the one he delights. We see this later on in chapter 5, but I'll give you a sneak preview It is arriving up to Christmas time. It says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel. Well, we know who that is, don't we? You see, the judge will send his son to be judged in our place. That's how God can still be just and it's how we can be free because of his son. You see, God's judgment is coming. Micah makes that clear. It came for the people of his time and it will come at the end of the age as well. But because he loves us so much, he has made a way. A way to punish sin and to save sinners. I hope you're reminded then, wherever you are this evening, don't trust in anything else than in his Son to save you from that judgment. Cling to Jesus. Cling to him. And with him you can be sure that the judgment that is coming has already been paid on the cross. Cling to him as we, as we approach the Lord's table this evening. Cling to him for the rest of this week, knowing that the judgment has been dealt with already. Don't downplay how serious sin is, but know that your Saviour has died for you. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded that the world is not the place it should be, that there is religious, that there is moral, and there are social problems. And we realise, as the prophet Micah says, that will incur your judgment. We thank you, Father, so much for your grace that you sent the Lord Jesus. And as he died for our sins on the cross, his heart melting like wax before the fire, as he was judged in our place. Lord, what an awesome rescue. Help us never to be bored with this. 
Help us to be wowed again this evening as we come to your table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.